Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss... Making your mark on your best customers, why the robots may be coming faster than we think, and how holiday shopping habits are changing amidst a global pandemic. Ambassadors, game changers, and shoppers, oh my! Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty-gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. Well, Joey, it's time for the holidays, and you know what that means. Snow-covered rooftops, a crackling fire, a glass of eggnogs, presents under the tree. Nope. Wait, what do you mean, nope? All of those things are coming. Well, those are all fine things. Well, Except for eggnog, which I happen to think is the single grossest substance ever invented. You know, eggnog is not that bad. It can be pretty tasty if you get the right right brand. It's a branding question here. But anyway, I wasn't talking about that. I was actually thinking about something else. I was thinking about the annual gift that I receive in the mail from Maker's Mark Bourbon. They send you bourbon in the mail? Oh, Joey, from your lips to the master distiller's ears. But (laughs) nope, I don't think they're allowed to do that. But still, they always send me a gift and they have for years. Once a year, I get a surprise in the mail from Maker's Mark. One year, I got ice ball molds with their logo in it. I got a little miniature Christmas sweater for my bottle. I got a little (laughs) Santa hat for my bottle. I got coasters. And one year, I got this gigantic tube in the mail and I had no idea what it was. It turned out to be Maker's Mark wrapping paper complete with the Maker's Mark bows to go on top. Wow. And I get all of these gifts because I am what is called a Maker's Mark ambassador. Uh So you should be properly addressed that way, I think, going forward. Mr. Ambassador, yes. Mr. Ambassador. Actually, if you must know. Is there an ambassador on this ship? I don't know. I don't know if this is maybe fast forwarding to the end here, but I'm actually an ambassador for life. So you should refer to me as Mr. Ambassador for life. Usually the ambassador changes with the next election and the next (laughs) administration. So I'm I'm calling fake news on this ambassador for life thing. I'm skeptical. I can show you my ambassador for life wooden business card if you would like. Wow. We should get a photo of that for the show notes. So let me tell you how this uh, began. A long time ago, I went down to Louisville to visit and uh, did a distillery tour or wanted to do a distillery tour rather at Maker's Mark, which is actually located outside of Louisville in Loretto, Kentucky. And unfortunately, the day that I got there, they told me that the distillery was closed. Why was it closed? Well, because they were celebrating Ambassador Day and only ambassadors 
could take the distillery tour. So true story, I said to the nice lady, well, how do I become an how ambassador? Become, what kind of donation do I need to make or who did I need to be college roommates with to become an ambassador? Exactly. And she said, just fill out this form. <laughs> wow. Like, nice. well, does it cost anything? No. Uh, okay. Really? Oh, nice. So I filled out the form and became Maker's Mark's newest ambassador and then was uh, allowed in on the distillery tour, which was great. Now, what happens when you become an ambassador at Maker's Mark is they actually put your name onto uh, like a metal a badge onto the barrel. So it gets affixed onto the barrel. And your name is with, uh, I don't know, about 10 other names on each barrel. And for those that don't know, I mean, a barrel makes at least a couple hundred bottles of uh, of uh, bourbon. So it's it's big. But your name gets put on it. And, and they send you in the mail a photo of the of your barrel that has your name on it. They send you a birth certificate, quote unquote, of uh, the day that your uh, barrel was born and, and was first filled. Nice. They, it's kind of like the birth certificate you used to get if you got a Cabbage Patch doll. Exactly. But this is for grown-ups. Yeah, exactly. I like it. I like uh, it. They send you periodic videos of the progress of uh, your barrel because uh, you may or may not know, Joey, but- It ages it's a, over time. It does, for at, at least at Baker's Mark, for eight years. That, that's a long aging process. It is. It is. And so eight years, Maker's Mark is obviously playing a long game. And I was trying to figure out all along, the marketer in me, what is the long game? And during those eight years, every one of them, they sent me a gift at the holidays. So and now, just to make sure I'm understanding, because I, I think our listeners might be wondering the same thing. You're getting all these gifts and you haven't spent a penny with them. Right? Well, they don't know. And I think that's one of the things. They don't know. Like they might presume part. because you're an ambassador, like who would come and sign up to be an ambassador if they weren't already a fan of the brand. But there's no requirement to give them money to get these. Products. There is no requirement. And they don't have uh, the ability to track because it's a product that's bought at a retail store. They don't, you know, they Third don't get party cart, sellers, cart sure. data. Right. Now, as it turns out, I am a, a fan of Maker's Mark Bourbon, but they, again, they don't know that. And I think that's one of the key parts of this story is that they, there is some faith that they're putting into their ambassador program that these are people that care enough about the brand. I mean, do some of the people take the gifts and go put them on eBay every year? Yes, they do. But for the most part, these are people that really are big brand fans. And the climax of the experience comes when you get the invitation. The invitation. What, what is the invitation to? Well, it actually looks like a wedding invitation. And it's okay. got this fancy script writing, and it says that you're cordially invited to Loretto, Kentucky, to Maker's Mark Distillery, to claim two bottles of Maker's Mark from your very own barrel. So your little, you know, the, the, your baby that you got the birth certificate for Eight is now all later, grown up. Yes, you get to go to the graduation ceremony and get two bottles. Exactly. So let, let me guess. You got in your car. You drove the five and a half hours from Chicago to Loretto, and then Tell you wait, were in, wait. Whose story is this? Okay, sorry, sorry. Okay, so I got in my car and I drove the five and a half hours from Chicago to Loretto. <laughs> and it. we had the most amazing experience at the distillery. I'm not kidding. You walk in and when you say that you're here to collect your bottles, it is almost like how you greeted me at the beginning of this segment. 
every one of the employees is in on the experience. And they hand you, uh, they first give you a lapel pin to put on your shirt so that everybody knows that you are a visiting ambassador. And they all treat you like you're royalty. And you go through these various steps. So they actually handed me the bottles and they were completely blank. They were filled, but they were completely blank. And the first thing that I, the first station I went to, they printed a label and it was a personalized label. I could have it say anything, you know, my name or whatever, anything that I wanted on the gift label. Gift for Joey Coleman, for example. Exactly. Except okay. I know that's not an appropriate gift for <laughs> you, say, so I wouldn't do that. that. Uh, so I get my personalized label and they, they, they print it out. I get to affix the labels to the bottles myself. And then they bring you over to anybody that knows the brand Maker's Mark knows that the Maker's Mark bottle is known for being dipped in wax. That the top even is I know covered that, in, right? in the, wax. Yeah, and it's well, usually red. But if it's one of the more signature brands, I think they do a blue. Well, they sometimes celebrate sports teams and that sort of thing. Right. But I got to dip my own bottles into the hot wax, and it was so wow. cool. And of course, at that station, you know, it's a different person. But the, that person is like, "Well, welcome, Mister Ambassador. We're so happy to have you." And you know, everybody's nice. so nice. So you get to you get to dip your you put your label on, and you dip the thing. And, and anyway, this all happened probably now, I'm going to say at least eight years ago that I went and picked up my eight-year-old bottles. So you've been an ambassador for 16 years. Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. And you know what's really interesting? I have not opened either one of those bottles and I can't get myself to do it. I feel like Like, you never would, right? Because it's like, oh, it's it's a memento. It's not that, you know, you were going to drink it. It's it's an artifact of your experience. Yeah. I mean, I I could drink it and I could refill it and no one would be any of the the wiser other than me. But but the seal would be broken, wouldn't it? Yes, that is true. But in any event, I am reminded of this every single year. And I haven't yet gotten my Maker's Mark gift this year, but I will be sure to let you know when it comes because it's always creative. It's branded, but not in the way that uh, that your friend uh, John Rulin at Giftology says don't do. You know, that, that it's right. not like a commercial for Maker's Mark. Because right. after all, this is a brand that I have an affinity towards. So I kind of like that it's branded. Sure, sure. And I just, I, I think that the lesson here is not enough companies play the long game with their customers. And, you know, you, we talk about, in fact, you know, your book talks about how to uh, get people in the first hundred days to stick with you for a long time. And when we are able to improve our retention, and as I like to say, stop the leaky bucket and keep our customers, we still got to make sure that that experience continues to be something that's worthy of them giving us their loyalty all these years. Absolutely. Well, I mean, this really appreciates the lifetime value of the customer. I mean, when you sign up to be an ambassador, they already have the next eight years of communications planned. Now, they may not necessarily know what gift they're going to give in year five, right? But they know they're going to give you a gift in year five. And it wouldn't surprise me if the folks at Maker's Mark, given the thoughtfulness that clearly they put into the ambassador experience, that they're actually planning out the gifts so that each year they're kind of building in a sequence. So yeah, talk about practicing what you preach. You say you care about your customers. How many of our listeners are really thinking about the relationship they're going to have with their customer today, eight years from now? 
Exactly, exactly. And that long game is so important. We talk about lifetime value, but we talk about it as a number, literally as a dollar amount. And that's almost as bad as, you know, treating a customer like an account number, right? Your value is not just a dollar number. And I think if we look at our customers that way and we look at the true long-term relationship and what that means and, you know, for example, long-term value doesn't include how many times I tell people about Maker's Mark. Right. It might, it might include how many bottles I buy. Obviously, we said they can't track that. But for, you know, for your company out there, listeners, it might involve sales. But does it even take into the consideration that a loyal customer is going to tell other people? The other takeaway I think that is important is it is the holiday season and it is an obvious but also still great time to remember your customers. You don't have to send them a gift, but do something other than send an email saying happy holidays, right? Do something that at least shows you shows them that you remember them and appreciate them and get them into the holiday spirit as they're thinking about your brand. We're excited to give you an overview of an important book you should know about, as well as share some of our favorite passages as part of our next book report. This week's book report features a book called The Age of Intent, Using Artificial Intelligence to Deliver a Superior Customer Experience. It's written by P.V. Conan, who is the founder and CEO of a company called 247.ai, which is an artificial intelligence-powered digital and voice automation platform. Now, I thought this was a provocative title because, let's face it, we're still figuring out the role of artificial intelligence in our business, let alone in the customer experience. I agree, Dan. You know, I got to say, when you mentioned to me before we started recording that we were, when we talked about featuring this book in a book report, I was intrigued and I got even more intrigued when we got into the book, which we'll come to, because AI is talked about so much But I know very few companies that have actually figured out how they're going to do this. And I wonder if at some point we'll look back on this time in history and be like, gosh, do you remember when people weren't using AI? Kind of like we might say, geez, do you remember when people were using fax machines? Or do you remember when people didn't have cell phones? You know, it seems so, so long ago. And those are tools. Whereas I think of AI as you know, frankly, layering a level of intelligence on your business that we can't even begin to fathom all the things we're going to learn. Well, I can tell you, Mr. Conan has started fathoming it. And I think that's what (laughs) made this book really cool. And yeah, I agree. I mean, I look at AI and on one hand, it scares me. And on the other hand, it excites me. And I'm always reminded of a few years ago, I was asked to do a very uh, private presentation in a Las Vegas conference room for a, a company's you know top six or seven clients. And one of the things they asked me to do in the presentation was to bring, and I'm quote, an example of a great chatbot. <laughs> And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, wow, that's like the toughest assignment I've ever been say, in. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? Like, especially then, maybe now it's better, but ugh, exactly. Yeah. Then it really was tough. And I do think that it's gotten far better uh, thanks to companies like 24 uh, 7. And so that's why I thought it was really interesting. So let's jump to PV Conan in his own words, giving us an overview of his book. Have you ever wished that every company you interacted with 
could just know what you wanted and go get it for you. That when you picked up the phone or opened a chat window, that the company would use what it knew about you to anticipate your needs. We are on the verge of a future just like that. As a leader of 247.ai, a company that uses AI to improve customer experience, I share my expertise here on how and why virtual agent rollouts succeed or fail. I explain how to architect key information systems, overcome corporate resistance and bad practices, and successfully analyze customer journeys to make virtual agents effective. The book that I wrote, Age of Intent, is about a world where the smartest type of chatbots, known as virtual agents, are powered by artificial intelligence and connected to a customer's complete profile and past history in order to better serve the customer. These virtual agents can anticipate just what a customer is looking for, answering questions through chat, on the phone, through Apple iMessage and Facebook Messenger, and through smart speakers like Amazon's Alexa and Google Home. They will transform the business world with efficient, scalable service that's available 24-7 and gets smarter every day. The book contains real-world examples from leading companies, both those who got it right and those who got it wrong, with lessons learned that you can apply to your business. I'm very proud to say that The Age of Intent was named one of the best business books by Strategy and Business, an award-winning management magazine for decision makers around the world. I hope you enjoy reading my book as much as I enjoyed writing it. So Joey, what do you think of the world of which PV speaks where, and I quote, every company you interacted with could just know what you wanted and go get it for you? You know, Dan, like you said before we heard from PV, AI excites me and intrigues me and it terrifies me as well, right? I think the the most recent research I saw about Facebook and just the algorithms they're running, and to make a distinction here, algorithms versus AI, two very different things. The algorithm, if you like a post, after 150 likes, the algorithm at Facebook is better at knowing whether you will like the next post you see than your spouse is. And after 300 likes, it's better at knowing whether you will like the next post than you are, right? And that's an algorithm. So the AI piece of this that is scary is like, oh, at what point do the robots take over and and are they smart, quote unquote, smarter than us? But the flip side of it is every area of my life, I find myself running towards the convenient solution. I find myself running towards the thing that can take the parts of life that I don't really get excited about and just put them on autopilot. Like, I don't get excited about finding out that we're out of paper towels, right? I would love it if they just showed up. I would love it if just some of these things happened. I would love it if, you know, the 10 sites that I actually care about, AI knew to put their Cyber Monday deals in front of me, you know, and that type of thing. So I do think there are some places where AI can really make our lives easier. And I'm excited to see what that's going to look like. For sure. I mean, automation can be great. It's a, it is a it is a convenience factor. It's a speed factor, as, as you said. And those are things that we know customers want. I think the key is, and I've been saying this for a while, is that 
there is a human element that customers, I believe personally, are always going to want to desire, but they certainly desire today. And the machine has to know when it's hit its limit. And so what I ended up doing in that speech, by the way, because I literally at the time could not find one that I thought (laughs) was worthy of sharing, is I ended up sharing one that was held up by Mark Zuckerberg at uh, at, at Facebook's F8 conference as being you know, one of the newest and greatest at the time. And I went through the experience. And what I found was when I got stuck and I needed help, the whole experience collapsed. Because right. in, in my case, what happened was the chatbot asked me if I wanted to talk to customer service. I said, yes. It responded that customer service was closed, begging the question why it asked me in the first place. But right. then... <laughs> But then the live customer service agent actually joined the chat and I was talking to both the bot and the agent at the same time. Nice. And so like, you know, a it's a schizophrenic a moment. moment. I'm sure. yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and and it it beguiles the the phrase artificial intelligence when it's not acting intelligent, right? And chatbots probably aren't necessarily seen as artificial intelligence and even the the conversation or the example I was giving about automation really isn't necessarily artificial intelligence. It's maybe the lowest levels of artificial intelligence where my gut instinct is PV is hinting at things that go beyond what we've seen now. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, that brings me to my favorite passage, which I think is one of his key selling points for why we should be thinking about this. And You and I have both heard hundreds of times of companies looking at the entire contact center as a cost center. And, and I think we know better that, that it really should be looked at more as a revenue center. But one of the things I was worried about when AI came onto the scene and virtual agents came onto the scene was that there would be some companies that would immediately look at it as a cost savings initiative. Hey, let's get rid of all the human agents and just have the computers do it or the robots do it. So this is the quote that I really loved from his book. He said, once you recognize that virtual agents aren't primarily about squeezing out costs, you can see the big picture, how they position your service operation to generate a better experience, build loyalty, and focus humans on what humans do best, which is to solve complicated problems and make emotional connections. Uh, so well said, Dan, especially that part about emotional connections, because I do agree that's the piece of the puzzle that we're going to struggle with with AI. Can we teach AI empathy? You know, it's funny. My favorite passage actually comes directly after yours in the book in chapter three. Now, this may be a first, ladies and gentlemen, that, you know, Dan and my's favorite passage bump up against each other. But PB notes that there are seven ways virtual agents improve customer service. Here they are. Number one, consistency. It gives the same right answer every time. Number two, uptime, making service available 24-7. Number three, capacity. You can scale up to serve customers quickly, even during peak service periods. Number four, speed. Reduce time spent waiting for a human agent. Number five, productivity. Help human agents deliver smarter and better service. Number six, intelligence. Generate new insights by analyzing aggregated service interactions. And number seven, channel independence. Consumers can use voice or text chat and get the same answer from the same bot. 
Now, I admit a couple of those were new to me, and I thought that was a very interesting passage as well because of that list. The one that really stuck out to me was number five, which is productivity, because I think it is so cool to imagine an agent sitting next to you know, I always think of like IBM's Watson, right? It went on Jeopardy and beat all the human <laughs> right. contestants, right? Because it knows everything. And so I, I always imagine this agent, this human agent sitting next to a supercomputer that knows the answer to every question that the customer could possibly ask and knows everything about that customer because it has entire order history and addresses and phone numbers and children's names and all this sort of stuff. Everything's there. It makes that agent so much smarter and as as PV very well said in the in the quote that I shared, it allows the human agent to do what they're good at that I don't think computers are ever going to be good at, which is to be human, right? Because that is still part of the customer service experience that we want. And so I I love that concept. And to me, the companies that figure out how to use this technology to make better agents instead of trying to replace their agents, I think those are the ones that are going to win. Did any of them stick out to you? You know, they did. I liked that one, Dan. But I also liked, ironically enough, the next one in the list, number six, intelligence. He's always a step behind, ladies and gentlemen. Behind it's story of my life, just trying to keep up with Dan Gingas, ladies and gentlemen. Well, if we're not seeking ways to gather the data from our customers, which a lot of businesses are doing, but then turn it into intelligent insights, not just data collection for data collection's sake, but rather to drive intelligent insights, we're missing a huge opportunity to mine that data to find the golden customer experience. I really think there's a tremendous opportunity to incorporate more intelligence into businesses. And I think AI is going to make that a lot easier to do, to do it at scale, to do it more in more cost-effective ways, and to do it much, much faster. I uh, couldn't agree more with you, Joey. I think that is also uh, a great uh, example. And I mean, all seven of them are cool. And like I said, got me thinking. But I think we nailed the two, if I say so myself. So let's hear from the Age of Intent author, P.V. Conan, and let's have him read his favorite passage. Here's the question. Are you ready for virtual agents? Every company that is considering virtual agents does so far for two reasons. It provides a better customer experience and it saves money. To make the case effectively, you must generally prove improvements on both fronts, which you emphasize will depend on what's going on strategically at your company. But regardless of which facet of the decision you focus on, you won't succeed unless you've laid the groundwork. As a major telecommunications company discovered, there are four types of questions you should ask to get that groundwork ready. The first one is economic. Where will you save or make money from automating your customer-facing processes? The second one is technical. What work will be required to get your technology infrastructure ready to connect to intelligent chatbots? The third one is political. What must you do to win over key executives in the company? And the last one is cultural. What will it take for your company to become comfortable with allowing customers to interact with virtual agents as well as humans? To get your company ready for virtual agents, you will need to face and work through all four of these challenges. 
So folks, PV is asking all the right questions, and he helps to answer them in the age of intent using artificial intelligence to deliver a superior customer experience. I suggest you go out, get the book, and read it, and learn how you can use this evolving technology to improve the customer experience at your business. Dan, this season has been all about games in many ways. Let's play a little game, you and I. I'm going to name a famous game show. You tell me who you think the host was, or maybe you know who the host was. We'll start off easy, though. Wheel of Fortune. Ah, Pat Sajak. That's an easy one. Jeopardy. Oh, rest in peace, Alex Trebek. I actually got to interview him in college. It was amazing. So nice, so nice. Yes, very well-known host. Let's make it a little more difficult. What about Joker's Wild? One of my favorite game shows as a kid, Jack Barry. Wow, nice. Uh, I liked Tic-Tac-Doe. And Wink Martindale, of course. Very nice. Price is right. Who could forget Bob Barker? And yeah, I know there's a comedian that does it now, but nobody <laughs> will ever replace nobody, Bob nobody Barker. Nobody will ever be Bob Barker, even though after Happy Gilmore, my my view of Bob Barker kind of changed a little, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, what about Card Sharks? We're, we're going to start bringing out some difficult ones Oh, uh, I'm, I think that was Bob Eubanks. Impressive. Uh, $100,000 Pyramid. A Dick Clark, and I nice. think pre, uh, pre-New pre Year's Eve Dick Clark, if I'm yes, not Yes, yes, definitely a classic. Oh, what about the dating game? Oh, that was Chuck Woolery. Uh, who, who, in many ways, had the best name in game show host. Uh, <laughs> family, how about Family Feud? Also a favorite. I mean, you had to love the uh, completely un-PC Richard Dawson. <laughs> <laughs> but then even, uh, you know, today Steve Harvey hosts it and, and he does, he's Often hilarious too. PC too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here, here's a favorite of mine. How about who wants to be a millionaire? Uh, another, another, uh, RIP, uh, Regis Philbin, uh, one of the best. Yeah. Very big Notre Dame fan. Lo- had the chance to meet Regis a number so, of times. So Great guy. Am I doing okay on the quiz, Joey? You're doing great. I mean, the reality here is we've just revealed something that I've known about you for years, Dan, that maybe our listeners didn't. And that's, if you could have grown up to be anything in the world other than shortstop for the Chicago Cubs, I think it might have been a game show host. In second base. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're absolutely right. And uh, my kids will tell you, even uh, if we if we sort of evolve game shows into you know what has become, I think, uh, reality TV. I, I've had a, a man crush on Jeff Probst for a long time in Survivor. I've never missed an episode. So yeah, I've always wanted to be a game show host, which is why I was so excited when Avtex asked us to host their new game show called Experience Points. Now, Experience Points is the most fun that you can have talking about customer experience. Now, we have a lot of fun here. Absolutely. But you know, we got to put our serious hats on every once in a while so that we teach. We try to act professional. But this (laughs) is so much fun. We have new episodes each week. Uh, We have celebrity contestants that play three different games over a three-week period. And so CX thought leaders actually get to earn cash for their favorite charity as they answer CX questions and share their expertise on how to fuel exceptional experiences for customers. So join your newly minted game show hosts, Joey Coleman and Dan Gingas for Experience Points brought to you by Avtex, your end-to-end CX technology and consulting partner. 
You can find Experience Points at www.experiencepointsgame.com. That's www.experiencepointsgame.com. Or on YouTube at the Avtex channel or on your favorite podcast app. Just search Avtex Experience Points. That's A-V-T-E-X, Avtex Experience Points. And you too can be part of the Experience Points game show experience. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. For this week's CX Press, we're going to look at a new study by Ignite Visibility, a digital marketing agency based in San Diego, California. Now, they surveyed a thousand customers about their holiday shopping habits to find out how they expect to shop this season. So, from the e commerce marketing study by Ignite Visibility, here are some of their key findings. One, Most consumers will be shopping and buying on a desktop compared to mobile. That's 50% to only 15%. A third of customers said both. I resonated with this one totally. I know it makes me sound old, and anybody who's a regular listener knows I am the least tech-savvy of the two hosts here to experience this, but I'm all about the desktop when it comes time to shopping and buying. I just find it easier to search, easier to have multiple windows open, easier to do a lot of things. So that one did not surprise me. I was super excited about that. And listeners may also know that I prefer the desktop too, except I am the PC guy and Joey is the Mac guy. So Uh, Exactly. Feel free to write in or call and tell us what you are. Yeah, exactly. I love it. I love it. And uh, full disclosure, I'm probably in the category of both. I have purchased some things on mobile. Random question, Dan. What's the most expensive thing you've ever purchased on mobile? Wow. Throwing a little bit of a curveball here, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not sure. I probably... I've I definitely have bought a couple of my pinball machines on eBay, and that could have been a mobile purchase. Nice. I I once had to buy a rather expensive plane ticket. That's a story for another episode. That was about a just under two thousand dollar plane ticket on my phone. That was I think the most I ever spent on it. But it was like a same day or same day ticket, and it was crazy. But long story short, mobile is the future, just not quite yet. Okay, number two, consumers were equally open to clicking on an ad in Google or an organic listing in Google for purchasing a product. This is significant as studies in the past have shown strong favoritism for organic listings. So people are getting more comfortable with clicking on those ads, even though it says ad right next to it. Yeah. And a lot of people uh, know, they, I mean, you should be able to tell the difference between the ads and the organic listings. And a lot of people will just breeze right over the ads to get to what they know is, you know, kind of Google's recommendation. But it does look like, and this could be the language in the ads that the people are starting to at least equal that out. Well, and I'll be honest, I like to actually, if I like the brand, I click on their organic listing. And if I don't like the brand, but I'm like disgruntled that I have to buy there, I click on the ads. So yeah, just to cost them a little money. money. Love yeah, it. exactly. I'm a little weird that way. I love it. All right. Number three, 86%, that's 86% of consumers need to see an ad two times or more before buying. And 31% need to see it six times 
times or more before buying. Now, this resonated with me because as a marketer, you're told over and over again that people have to see your message more than once in order to respond. But man, six times, it just feels like you're bothering them, but it, it, it works. It is, it is bothering them. But I will say, as somebody who, as you know, really the only social media app I spend time with is Facebook, maybe this is why I keep getting fed the same ads over and over and over again in Facebook. And I'll tell you, I purchased three things this holiday season that I would not have known about had I not been fed ads in Facebook. So thanks, Facebook, for listening to me talk and then serving up ads that are about the <laughs> They know you better than you do, They Joey. know me better than I know myself. Keep on liking it. All right, number four. I thought this was an interesting one, and it segues to something we've talked about before in the past. 55% of people will be shopping more on Amazon this year versus last year. But interestingly enough, that's kind of not a surprise. We know Amazon's eating the world. It's getting bigger and bigger. But what that means is that 45% of respondents actually plan to use Amazon less. Now, this is in line with recent trends such as a rise in consumers wanting to support small businesses and looking for direct-to-consumer experiences. Three quarters of shoppers say they're not afraid to go into stores despite the COVID-19 pandemic. It's just the other quarter of shoppers who are saying, you know what, everything's online this year. So yeah, lots of shifting behaviors in 2020 when it comes to online purchases. Yeah, I thought this was really interesting. I mean, there are days where I feel like I could buy absolutely everything I ever needed on Amazon, and yet I don't. And I do think that uh, that people want to support their local businesses, even the large chains that are local. They want to support them because, heck, a large chain is a whole lot better than an empty strip mall, right? So it's uh, it, it, you know we do want these uh, stores to stay in our in our neighborhoods and communities, and and so we definitely want to support them as well. And I believe well, you can be both. I mean, yeah, I love that, Amazon well, and I shop elsewhere as well. A hundred percent. I don't think it. you necessarily need to be, I'm a hundred percent all Amazon all day long, or I'm anti-Amazon. There's a giant gray area in the middle. I also think when it comes to shopping in your local community, yes, you may be shopping in a chain store, but the employees that work there live in your town. They live in your neighborhood. So you you are putting money back into your community based on the wages that those employees are are making from working there. So definitely not a clear line here, but some interesting developing trends. Uh, for sure. Not to mention the taxes that are collected by that, Why that too? company. Number five. Customers are shopping and purchasing products much earlier this year. And despite the current economic climate, more than half of consumers plan to spend the same or more this year compared to last year. So, folks, basically that means by the time you're listening to this podcast, you're already behind the ball on shopping because most of your friends and family have already got their holiday shopping done. So true. I will say this, which I, uh, mom, hopefully you don't mind me sharing this story. I was talking to my mom actually earlier today, and she said she has never been further ahead in her Christmas shopping than she is this year. And I think part of the reason for that is so many people are home and they're looking forward to the holidays, even if it's going to be a socially distanced, not hanging out with family holiday, that they're actually putting more thought and energy into it and coming to the table with their shopping earlier. So it's playing out that way in the Coleman household for sure. And I imagine it might've played out that way in your households too. 
Indeed. And number six takeaway from the study was the most important deciding factors in an Amazon purchase are the number of stars and positive reviews followed by delivery time. And I think that is certainly makes sense to me. I mean, I check the reviews of every product and uh, and not just the stars. I actually like to go and read the reviews, uh, both positive and negative reviews. But it is amazing how much impact that now has in the purchasing decision. It really is, especially when you think back to pre-Amazon or even just five, 10 years ago on Amazon, the reviews didn't play as big a role as they do today. It's like with each passing year, they play a bigger and bigger role. And so the review strategy for your business is important, but it's also important for us as consumers. So I I totally get it. Well, I mean, I think some key takeaways from this study, Amazon is still the e-commerce powerhouse. But there's plenty of room for other competitors. I mean, Shopify is coming along and making e-commerce solutions for small and medium-sized businesses much easier to use. You don't have to try to be Amazon. They are who they are, and they're the best at what they do for a reason. You can just be you and create a more personal experience, which is something that Amazon will always struggle to do. Agreed. And especially if you have a bricks-and-mortar store, because... That's the one thing that, uh, other than the some of the small stores that we've uh, referred to in past episodes, they don't really have that physical presence that uh, that a, a local store does. Pay attention to how the pandemic affects shopping behaviors this holiday season, because I definitely think that some of those trends are likely to follow in 2021. And as always, make things simple and convenient for your customers, and they will keep coming back. Happy holidays to all of you, our listeners. We so appreciate you. Enjoy the season. Stay healthy and safe. Wow. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This. This.